No BS Nutrition is ready for a vaccine, and we're not mad about it. This is a one-hour food fight against diet culture and its fake science messages. Instead, we're passionate about celebrating real wellness. I'm registered dietitian Hannah McGee. And I'm neuroscience PhD student Tarek Youssef, and this is No BS Nutrition. Hi! <laughs> it's episode 20 of season 2, so it's our last episode of season 2 before we take a little hiatus. We've already got friends of the pod asking when we're going to come back. Oh my gosh, leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> You're obsessed with me. Give us a I do, We do, <laughs> yeah. We are really, really grateful. I always call this podcast our baby, and I feel like our baby like is still young, but it's definitely growing and we really appreciate everybody who listens. This is a great opportunity for Hannah and I to, you know, get to do a little bit of science communication and talk about things that we really care about. So thank you so much for listening. Yes, of course. And I was just joking. I obviously, I want everyone I'm not. to... I'm not. You're so obsessed with me. <laughs> I want everyone to be like waiting on the edge of their seats for our return with season three. But... I'm sure everybody is crying. So how are you this week? Mm. <laughs> I, don't I don't know it's been a weird week i'm in another adjustment period it's strange i think the weather is like i don't know has it been weird it's been kind of like it's is it march is it april i, know. I don't know I what know. month it is i shaved my head today nice i'm also regrowing my goatee oh i guess that's actually a really great way for people to surmise what kind of mental state i'm in is i i'm actively trying to get a goatee again so <laughs> you can um start a fun go fund me for me if you want <laughs> we will totally do that yeah i feel you it's been a weird week just all around do you think it's weird. like i don't believe in astrology but do you think it's an astrology thing are the planets in alignment or something or like mercury's in retrograde or something like that yeah i honestly what don't... are you what sign are you oh i'm a sagittarius what does that mean what does sagittarius mean i don't really again i'm i'm like you like i'm not huge into astrology people listening are probably like you guys are losers but um <laughs> i i think sagittarius are like i could be totally wrong i want to say they're like loyal oh that's good loyal I mean, is really I good i would like say you're powerful. very loyal I know you've been some... in a relationship for like 14 years did i make 11. that number up yeah 11 <laughs> but some other i will tell you some other sagittarius's Sagittarius, 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 um, that I know of are Britney Spears. Okay, you're in good company. And Nicki Minaj. Oh wow! <laughs> so that's I think that's all I know. I don't think I know any famous Capricorns. Although I do know oh. a few famous left-handed people: Barack Obama's left-handed, Oprah's left-handed. So that's good company to be in. Nice. I don't know who's a Capricorn. I feel like Capricorn is boring. You know Capricorn what? is like, That's, you, know you read books. Out? My um, my best friend Emily is also a Capricorn. So <gasps> I maybe, love Emily. I do too. Maybe I like attract Capricorns into my life. Because like, 
Do you think we're a good match? I we must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I I, clo- I close the recording. I'm like I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't agree. <laughs> I feel like this episode you know, is really going to need direction because we're just in a mood today, and we could just like. I think we're in a mood. I think everybody can empathize with the mood i also think a lot has been happening and it'll be a good episode because it'll be like a real grab bag like variety thing we're going to answer some questions we're going to talk about some current events i I think it'll be great can we just quickly just for shits look up like our um our zodiac signs and like the traits i really just want to read it off and see if they oh yeah no please i would love to know i actually once looked up Okay, you know how it gets complicated? There's like your rising sign and then your okay, yeah, like yeah, moon that. sign or whatever, uh, like your yeah. sun sign. I looked one of them up and and it was like, I literally thought I was reading about myself, which I know is like ridiculous. I'm sure if I yeah. read any other one, yeah. I'd also say the same thing. But it was really strange. Also, I don't know the time of day I was born. And that's the only way that you can oh, yeah. find out like your right. other what houses your i don't know what signs your other houses, houses. are whatever that means um so i don't know who knows Potter. what time they were born do you I know do. what time you were born? yeah i was born at like oh. 6 a.m wow good morning okay, whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> shout out to um, tanya for uh, making that happen <laughs> let me just see here so sagittarius traits i have it up here strengths okay. generous i would say I'm oh generous. yeah uh, you Ide- are very generous. Idealistic. Ooh. Mm, I'd say um, you're realistic. What's idealistic? That's like... I think idealistic is like overly optimistic or like... Oh, I am not overly optimistic. You're not like a fantasy person. No, not at all. No. Um, great sense of humor. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, weaknesses. You laugh at the dumb things I say. So, yeah. Oh my yeah, God. I, I have. I wanted to say this. I have been sending Tarek like TikTok videos all week long. This is just how I have been so distracted all week. I've been like scrolling TikTok every day. And like every couple hours, I'll send Tarek a TikTok that I think is funny. And then today, or I, yeah, I had to catch myself. I was going to send you one. And I was like, no, this is probably annoying as hell. I'm not going to send Well, I don't know. I, I think some of them are funny. I just, uh, that part of my brain is like the my tiktok part of my brain is like oh okay <laughs> like when i see the video no i like lo- i lose my shit at some of them they're so funny anyways okay my weaknesses apparently i promise more than i can deliver i don't think i do that i think that's like an idealistic thing which again i'd say yeah. you aren't idealistic yeah very impatient yeah i would agree with that um will say anything no matter how undiplomatic hmm. i don't think so yeah i don't know but i think you either. like to take other people's feelings into consideration i definitely do uh sagittarius likes freedom travel philosophy and being outdoors this does not sound like who doesn't me. like that stuff i don't oh, wait but, do you not like freedom like that stuff. I, I mean i like freedom but like <laughs> i don't know why that's like a Getting ready personality to get personality <laughs> like oh god um, travel yeah I guess I don't know the, they just don't really stand out to me as like what I would describe myself as and then dislikes clingy people I honestly feel like sure. I'm a clingy person um, I don't think so being constrained off the wall theories and details I really like details so I don't yeah. know this anyways, is not very you this isn't right this is wrong <laughs> anyways I want to try and find Mine Ooh. is okay. So my Ooh. strengths are responsible, okay. I guess, disciplined. Yeah, I, would say. I, 
I'm yeah, striving I'm... towards that. Self-control, I guess, sometimes. And good manager. I think I'm a good manager, actually. Yeah, I would say I've managed are. people. I like managing. Uh, weaknesses, know-it-all. I try not to be. I don't, I don't think, think I... you are. <clears throat> Unforgiving, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh condescending i hope not i don't i don't really try to Definitely be condescending not. expecting the worst uh yep okay <laughs> my <laughs> likes <laughs> my likes are family uh tradition yeah music uh-huh understated status i don't really know what that means Mm-mm. i like being understated i don't know uh quality craftsmanship <laughs> sure okay <laughs> and my dislikes are almost everything <laughs> at some point <laughs> That, I feel like that aligns. <laughs> wow. That is rough. Um, That's a great paint picture of me. <laughs> so for my love compatibility, it says Sagittarius and Taurus. Oh, so not me. So not What about you? friends? I don't know if they have that. Do they have that? Maybe what not. What an episode no, this I'm is going to be. No, I'm not seeing it. All right. I know. Congratulations, everybody, for turning this episode on. <laughs> okay, so let's explain. We... Don't really have a BS of the week for the week. We are going to talk about something a little bit different. It's more of like a, it's just like a new development, I guess, of yeah. the week. And it's so, a news blast nutrition, NB nutrition, news blast, no BS. So this week, I believe it was this week. It was this week, right? Yeah. Um, it was the, this week. <laughs> some new guidelines came out. Oh, actually, before I say this, I did want to just give a little, almost like a language. Um, oh yeah, good idea. Warning, good idea. or we're going to be using a specific term, I guess. So we're going to be talking about the new obesity guidelines, and so for anyone um, that's uncomfortable with that word or like we know that you know obesity is a word that's been used to like label and stigmatize and discriminate against people and so some people might you know be uncomfortable or find that word triggering so if you do um, I would say you can feel free to skip this episode we won't be you know upset at you or you know we totally no. understand and of or course. you can just skip like the first half of it. Obesity is also a medical term, so that's kind of how we're going to be discussing it um, as the medical term because there are some new medical guidelines um, around it that just came out that we want to review and kind of talk about. So this week, Obesity Canada released some new clinical uh, practice guidelines from, or like their Canadian Adult Obesity Clinical Practice Guidelines, or CPGs. So they're pretty I'll, I'll be honest like i i'm not entirely like i wasn't entirely familiar with the old ones like it's not like i had read through them rigorously sure. or anything like that so i you know i can't speak to if all of this stuff is changed or you know if there are a lot of differences but there are some key things that i do know have been added this year that are kind of neat so we wanted to talk about those I guess um, the first thing I want to mention is I came across a Globe and Mail article about um, about the new guidelines. Did you read that one, Right. Tara? That's how I came across it, too. Okay. Yeah. And what stood out to me is um, the kind of newer definition that they're using 
for obesity. So in this Globe and Mail article, it says, while obesity is traditionally defined as having a body mass index or BMI, which we've talked about quite a bit, of 30 or more, the authors of um, the new guidelines offer a new definition. So they interviewed Dr. Arya Sharma, Sharma, who um, is a scientific director at Obesity Canada, and one of the authors of these guidelines. And so he said, it's not about the amount of body fat. It's about where the body fat is. And it's not about the type of body fat as well. And he says, it's a very simple question. Does this person's body fat or excess body fat affect their health? If it does, we have obesity. If it doesn't, we just have a large person or a person in a larger body um, or a fat person with a lot of body fat. So I kind of liked that because I think for a long time, well, and I I mean, it still exists in the, um, like in the BMI charts, it's, they're still categorized as like BMI over 30 is obesity class one and B, but they're, I guess with these new guidelines, they're encouraging a more well-rounded approach to kind of assessing and diagnosing obesity which is I think necessary because we've talked about BMI before and you really can't just take that measurement and claim that this person has x y and z because of their like um, I think one of the biggest things that this does is probably you know if someone a larger body goes to or like is afraid to go to the doctor because they think the first thing they're going to be told is well don't come back to me unless until you've lost 10 pounds like this should be motivating clinicians to stray away from that and in fact like be assessing people independently of their body weight right and i I hope that's what people can start benefiting from yeah stigma about that for sure so one thing that i really liked and it's and i know is new to these guidelines is the first chapter in the guidelines and they've actually included a chapter about weight bias and weight stigma and weight discrimination and the effects that these things can have on health outcomes and obesity which is really um necessary like i i don't think you can which you know it's interesting to me but i don't think you can have those guidelines unless you have discussion about that because yeah we and we've talked about um i think it was in our health at every size episode we talked a lot about weight bias and is that the episode or did we do an episode all on we did it a couple times Yeah, yeah yeah So we have a few episodes. We did mental health and then we did like fat phobia. We did a couple different things. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So we've talked about it a lot and we know that, yeah, there are negative consequences associated with those things uh, health-wise and it it needs to be addressed. So in that chapter, I'll just read you some of the key messages that they had for healthcare providers that I thought were, um, you know, nice to include. So they say that healthcare providers should assess their own attitudes and beliefs regarding obesity and consider how their attitudes and beliefs may influence care delivery. So, you know, that's really important um, to kind of check your own beliefs and your own biases as a healthcare professional before you Mm -hmm. see a client or a patient and provide care because you can't let that kind of project onto their care. And I think that's something that happens all the time. Of course. Um, Yeah. So the next one said healthcare providers should recognize that internalized weight bias or bias towards oneself um, 
in people living with obesity can affect behavioral and health outcomes. So they're saying that even even people, fat people or people living in larger bodies, like they can also have that internalized bias just like thin people. Like we, even though someone might be in a large body, they of still course. might experience kind of um, certain stereotypes about certain body weights or body sizes and things like that, that can affect their health and their self-esteem and their mental health and, and all of those things. So um, you, that needs to be recognized as well. And then healthcare providers should avoid using judgmental words, images, and practices when working with patients um, and not even necessarily patients with, living with, with obesity, but every patient. Um, I mean, people who are listening probably think this is straightforward, but it's really good that these things are now written down as guidelines, guidelines. because now exactly. clinicians can be held accountable for the way that they exactly. interact with their patients. Yeah, exactly. This is a really good step forward. I agree. And then, um, oh, so this is an important one, and we've kind of touched on this before, but it says that these guidelines recommend that healthcare providers avoid making assumptions that an ailment or a complaint a patient presents with is related to their body weight. And I yeah, feel like and that's, that's the biggest gripe that patients have. Yeah, yeah, that they come in and they have, you know, there's been horror stories, and we've talked about this, of people coming into the doctor and saying, you know, saying they have this complaint or they're not feeling well in this area, and their healthcare provider says, like, oh, well, it's just like weight related, like, go lose weight, and then we'll, yeah. if it's still going on afterwards, we'll talk about it, kind of thing, which is so horrible right. and just. Yeah. So again, something that's now down in the guidelines, that's, um, I don't know, really, really important. Especially when traditional methods of weight loss are unsustainable and don't work and are really, I'm mean, really difficult, make people more stressed, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll touch on that. I, I do have a lot of notes here, so I'll try to get through them quickly. Oh, they also just mention and they kind of describe, I didn't, I'm not going to list them off or anything, but they describe, you know, the physical and psychological and psychosocial consequences that weight stigma and weight discrimination can have. So, you know, they look into some evidence and, and cite that evidence, you know, on cert, like the risk of depression and, and other health and morbidity and other health outcomes that, you know, come with being, you know, discriminized, um, discriminated against for your weight and um, things like that. So again really important to include and i hope this is interesting for people listening it is it's it's cool because like obviously because we've been talking about it and we've been referencing good research this the evidence for all this has been existing for a long time so it is about time that this is adopted in a regulated way yeah exactly exactly and then another this one I, I highlighted need for systemic education on weight bias and stigma in all health professional training programs. So Love all that. health professional disciplines should therefore include weight bias sensitivity training in their um, curriculum. So, I mean, I didn't in my nutrition training and I didn't get training. It's on, so shocking to me. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. And especially like in a, in a, like in nutrition and dietetics you would think that that's something that's so important to have because you know you're in a field where you will most definitely come across um weight loss counseling at some point whether it's in your internship or whatever it is and yeah um, so needing to be trained and, and educated on these things is like imperative Anybody who might talk to a patient in a bed, I mean, I just think yes. that they should be getting, that should be like part of bedside manner. Exactly. It's like, yeah. 
anti-discrimination like part of cultural competency like all of those things exactly exactly um and then i guess i'll just because i don't want to take up too much time i want to just run over briefly the medical nutrition therapy chapter which is obviously what would be most relevant to me as a dietitian um so i'll just read off a paragraph that i really liked um so it basically says traditional nutrition interventions for obesity have focused on strategies that promote weight loss through dietary restriction Although a caloric deficit is required to initiate weight loss, yes, we know this, um, sustaining lost weight may be difficult long-term due to compensatory mechanisms that promote positive calorie intake by increasing hunger and the drive to eat. And they're citing research all throughout this. Providers, policymakers, patients and clients, and the general public should be aware that nutrition interventions affect affect everyone differently and therefore there is no one best approach to nutrition or sorry there's no one best nutrition approach or intervention like that's a really good point that's why like some people will take to a calorie deficit diet really well for whatever reason because of a bunch of different factors and some people won't it just works differently for them yeah so they go on to say as such some people may favor an approach that is macronutrient based so you know consisting of higher, moderate, or lower intake of carbs, protein, and or fat, caloric restricted, food-based, or non-dieting. So they kind of, you know, say that Mm. there's different approaches that might apply to different people. And, you know, there really is no one-size-fits-all kind of approach to managing this. Um, And then nutrition and healthy eating are important to the health and well-being of all Canadians, regardless of weight, body size or health status in the context of obesity management the best nutrition approach is one an individual can maintain long term to achieve health related or weight related outcomes so they said it right there like it has to be something that this your your patient or your clients can maintain long term or there's just no point in doing it like exactly I think that, again, like for people listening, they might be like, well, that sounds pretty obvious or like, but I but can people think of dip so into, many, for yeah. example, calorie deficit diets all the time and then they dip out of them because they don't right. work and then they try to get back yeah. quote unquote, on the wagon. Yeah, I mean, it's good to have it written down. You're totally right. That is a really yeah. good paragraph. Thank and you for I sharing that. Just think of like even healthcare professionals recommending certain diets yeah, yeah. Um, like weight loss diets that just aren't and not not even like because the patient expressed interest in it like just saying like right. oh well there's this new diet there's this new keto diet like so many there's so many instances like with keto where um people would say actually like my doctor recommended me keto so i'm doing it and it's like there's so much more that needs to go into that and they do actually yeah. in these guidelines as well recommend um and say like you know patients should be seen by a dietitian and they should consult with a dietitian. I love that. That's great. Um, And then one last thing, and this was actually a recommendation. So they say, we recommend a non-dieting approach to improve quality of life, psychological outcomes in brackets, general well-being, body image perceptions, cardiovascular outcomes, body weight, physical activity, cognitive restraint, and eating behaviors. So they, they recommend kind of a non-dieting approach, even though they do, um, they're, you know, they list like a bunch of options for like what's supported by evidence. Um, And some of the things are like a calorie restricted 
type of eating pattern and then there's like the Mediterranean diet and a whole list of other things um, that might be applicable. They're not recommending it for everyone. Again, they're just like kind of options that might be worth discussing. Um, but I mean, from the end, reviews of the literature that you and I have done, it seems like the science is moving towards a non-diet approach exactly. for weight management. Yeah. And, and I think even they're saying that even if like your client expressed interest in a specific diet or something like that, like taking a non, even though it's like they want to try a diet, like taking a non-diet approach to that. So just kind of setting, I don't know, um, boundaries around like not being super restrictive and, and still listening to your yeah. body and letting that kind of like teaching yourself rule. not to stigmatize foods. Things yes, like that. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Anyways. So those are just some things that I took note of that I appreciated in these new guidelines. Um, is there anything you wanted to? Mention? Yeah, no, I was really grateful. Uh, I'll try to do this quickly. I was really grateful. Hannah, you sent me the, the, particular portion of the new obesity canada guidelines that focused on um the brain and how the brain mm-hmm. interacts with um obese it, uh, interacts with i don't know the digestive system with behavioral behavior eating patterns in obesity it was really really interesting um i knew a little bit of it but definitely this broadened my knowledge of it the thing that I, I, maybe I won't get too deep into like the neuroanatomy or like the very specific specific specifical the very specific hormonal <laughs> interactions, um, but maybe I'll just give a very brief kind of um, takeaway from what I read for people. Maybe we can get into it um, at a, at a later date, maybe in another episode. I mean, okay. we've always talked about this doing like a brain like behavioral eating episode, which yeah. would be really fun. Yeah. So something that. I think, uh, and obviously we'll link this in the in the description to these papers and these sources. So something I think people should maybe think about or realize, maybe if they haven't thought about this before, is that being hungry is different than wanting to eat. So th- those can be two different things. So and, and the the literature, the the science, really uh, backs up the fact that hunger is suppressed by eating. So when you feel hungry, the best way to suppress your hunger is to eat. Yeah. Your body is trying to maintain um, the balance of energy intake and energy expenditure. And the best way to literally quiet the neurons that are asking you to eat is to eat. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one thing I wanted to get across. The, the harder thing to do especially in, for example, like a state of obesity, is to suppress wanting food, so cravings. It is difficult to suppress that desire to eat, even if you're not hungry, with eating, with consumption, for example. So what happens there is that those neural pathways in the brain um, that, let's say, connect different parts of your brain that that tell you you want food and that tell you you're being satisfied start breaking down so it takes more food and more consumption in order to reach the same level of satisfaction this is a really common effect biologically where the body becomes desensitized to a stimulus over time and requires more and more of that stimulus in order to reach the same level Mm. of satisfaction or activity or what have you 
um it's like i almost think about it like you know when like a new song comes out you're obsessed with that song and you play that song on repeat for like four days and then all of a sudden after four days it's like okay this doesn't make me as happy anymore like you're you're your brain is starting to become desensitized to it and you're like i don't know this doesn't make me as good feel as good as it used to i kind of want to stop listening to this song so it takes more and more food in a state of obesity in order to satisfy cravings so it it, this is this this i guess piece of evidence kind of um it is really good to know because it dispels that theory that um people who live in larger bodies or let's say like uh, people who have who are um, who are living with obesity are lazy for example or Mm. are just greedy that's not the case it's like there are real like biological changes neurological changes uh, that are being um, that are changing the way that we're able to manage our consumption and our food staking behaviors Uh, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with let's say for example uh, bad food choices it could be um, something genetic it could be something environmental it it could be a whole whack of things and we really need to stop stigmatizing people who are living with obesity or people who are in larger bodies uh, for their consumption because this it's like a real biological phenomena at that at that stage and it's not something that like people don't have enough willpower for example that's not the case um i I really hate when i hear that that uh, people are saying oh you just don't have enough willpower to stop eating Mm, yeah that's not how that works um but the other thing that i wanted to kind of get across with this is that you know for anybody one of the things that hannah and i talk about all the time is intuitive eating which uh, that's fine it might not work for everybody the I, the principles of intuitive yep. eating and i'm not knocking that that's totally okay it, intuitive eating asks you as one of the principles to pay attention to your body's hunger signals that's really hard thing to do and i, and I constantly struggle with that some days some days it's really good some days it's kind of hard and i can't really tell one of the things that I just told you that I just told everybody is that being hungry is different than wanting food. So you can still want food, even though you are very sated, you're full. So that's one thing that you can kind of, when you get a craving, for example, you can ask yourself, okay, am I hungry? Okay. If that doesn't really work, you can kind of ask yourself, okay, did I eat? And then you can kind of ask yourself, is something inspiring this desire to consume food or this desire to, to, to seek out food for example am i sad right now and am i trying to suppress that emotion by eating Uh, am i watching a food show and i I kind of have a craving right now there are all kinds of things you can ask yourself and i'm not saying ask yourself those questions in order to then not go out and eat yeah go ahead and eat eat and satisfy that craving satisfy that desire to eat or i'm just saying that asking yourself these questions you know is there a, a behavioral reason is there an environmental reason um, that I'm desiring to seek out food are ways that you can start um, learning how to gauge your body's own hunger signals and from there make a decision as to whether or not you want to go ahead and seek out food. Yeah, so I agree. So this kind of, this reading this kind of, uh, you know, taught me a little bit about that is that it, it it is true. Being hungry is different than craving a food sometimes. And yeah. that's one way that we can kind of tune into our um, our intuition with respect to our body's hunger signals. 
Yeah, I love that you say that, and I totally agree. That's I would say the same thing that you said. Um, I I think that yeah, it's important to get curious. You know, when you do when you are experiencing maybe yeah that want to eat, but you're not necessarily physically hungry. Yeah, I I want to emphasize like being curious about it and asking questions, but doing so without like judgment because I think that's totally, kind of yeah. when we run into like issues with our relationship with food or feeling guilty about um, eating when we're not hungry or things like that and which then can lead to that kind of like oh well screw it like I'll be better tomorrow and then just like you know for the rest of the day just you know eating all of the cookies in the container than just like if you were to not have any judgment around it and like oh well I was watching them this YouTube video of them baking cookies and now I want a cookie instead of maybe just being like that's okay I'm gonna eat a cookie like if you're like I shouldn't do it I shouldn't do it oh screw it I'm gonna do it and then like you have all this like judgment and guilt around it that's kind of where it leads to yeah just like a a poor relationship with food and and yeah where you run into some issues totally and you know we are all you know basically just our brains and then a bunch of stuff underneath so these are literal like neural pathways that are yeah kind of helping us or literally mediating all of these decisions and these behaviors. So um, it, it takes time to build a routine and it definitely takes a long time to, I guess, I'm speaking very broadly here, but like build those synapses between different parts of our brain that are going to help us, you know, um, learn over time how to be in tune with those signals yeah. and how to behave according to the way that we feel most comfortable behaving. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thank that's you all, That's all I want that. to share yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah I, really neat. I, <laughs> I say that I, after it's been like 12 minutes. I'm like, that's all I wanted <laughs> no, no, to no, say. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, as soon as I saw that chapter um, where it was like about like eating in the brain or whatever it was, I was like, I have to send that to Tarek because. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was yeah. so um, relevant. So now we're going to jump into kind of what we wanted to. I mean, it's kind of going to be like a split episode at this point, but um we wanted to make this episode kind of about you guys and what you wanted to know, you listeners, friends of the pod. So um, we asked you guys to send in some questions and you sent in some questions. So we have a list of questions that we're going to read off and we'll chat about them and we'll discuss them for the rest of the episode. I guess I can start. Um, The first question we got was, how do you feel about protein powders and supplements? And let's have a discussion about this. I personally don't, well, I mean, I mean, protein, I guess protein powders are a supplement, so we'll go with that. But I think supplements are okay in certain scenarios. We've talked about this before. We did a whole episode on supplements and, you know, they're not going to necessarily solve all your problems and fix, you know, a poor diet. But I think in terms of like protein powder, um, I think that it, I don't have an issue with protein powder and, and using it as a source of protein as long as I think you're diversifying your diet and, um, you know, not just relying on protein powder to like be your main source of protein. And um, I guess it's like, what is your desired outcome? Like, why? Yeah. Why do you want to consume protein powder versus having a meal that, you know, has protein incorporated in it because it's coming from a food um 
I don't know. I don't really care. I never judge people like either way. It doesn't make any difference to me. But uh, what are you getting out of it? I guess like there's less calories. Yeah. So are you trying to like get into a calorie deficit? I guess that's maybe like one reason maybe. someone might choose it. Or maybe yeah. they're finding it difficult to consume protein in their diet. Maybe they yeah. want to go meatless, but they don't necessarily want to eat like traditional vegan yeah. Um, sources of protein. I guess yeah. protein powder would be a good opportunity to get protein in that case. Um, yeah, I guess I think Hannah, like obviously Hannah's the RD, but <laughs> Hannah said the most important thing is like, you know, maintain a diverse diet because that's one of the most important things you can do in order to make sure you're getting all of your necessary micronutrients, especially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I yeah, think, don't use um, it. I guess I, the one thing I'd say is like I I would hope people aren't using them as meal replacements, right? Because um, that's yeah, just calorie restriction and that's going to be unsustainable, unhealthy. You're probably not going to get all the required nutrients that you need yeah. every day. Not I a good agree. way to go about it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think yeah, I think protein powders and they definitely have a like a time and place too, especially if you're like very if you're like an athlete or you are you have a specific like you are trying to put on muscle for some reason or you know something like that you're um then you know it can protein powders can be a convenient way to get protein when you need it um so say uh, you know after a strength training workout or something like that we've talked about um certain situations with athletes on here before and yeah you need to get protein in um you know within a certain window after your exercise it, it can be a convenient way um but yeah i don't um definitely not as a meal replacement and in terms of like the supplement side of it we've talked about collagen which is like technically a protein supplement um on the podcast before we have a whole episode where we discuss it and yeah i mean my thoughts on that are just know that there's you know not enough evidence to support like all the benefits that people claim come from taking it uh, most of the claims around taking collagen are anecdotal and uh, it's a really yeah. good way to spend money you can do that if it's you want to waste some if you have money burning your pocket and you really need to get rid of it you can go buy some collagen it won't do yeah. anything <laughs> i mean well i mean yes i agree it is one thing that i about collagen that i think a lot of people like is that it's like unflavored and it dissolves well into things like smoothies like you don't notice it in them it's not you know so it it's a way to kind of boost the protein in something that you might sure. want to do you know what i mean um it is a specific type of protein it, it doesn't um if you know if you compare it to like a whey protein that's what i really, think about too is like it's not a like a diverse like it's not it's a not necessarily great protein like a supplement protein. if you're using it yeah right yeah. exactly if you're using it you know, as a recovery um, drink or something like that after your workout, you're probably better off with something different, like a, you know, a whey protein powder or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I hope we answered that to the extent. Thank you for the question. The, yeah. the, the, per, the person writing in was looking for. Um, all right. So the next one, I guess, is about people have questions about. Um, people are trying here. to get jacked. Yeah. <laughs> So someone else said, how, oh, wait, you read it off. It's your turn. Yeah, okay. So this is a really common question. How much protein do we really need? Uh, and they're specifically talking about 
um, weight loss and bodybuilding. And I think no, what so they're trying it to... says versus weight loss or body... so like I think what they're saying is that in weight loss or bodybuilding culture, there's like a really big emphasis on protein, and yeah. sometimes the recommendations would be oh like a lot higher, higher than yeah yeah. We I talked about this like... before. It's like around yeah. thirty grams that your body can really only absorb like in a meal of protein so having more than that doesn't really go to your muscles yeah i would say so in a day the recommendation is it's 0.8 grams of 0.8 to about one um 1.1 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per day that's kind of the recommended intake um i can't think off the top of my head what that would be for like a like a hundred and sixty pound person would need like around 80 70 grams of protein or something 80 grams of protein yeah i think what well one example they gave on that um (laughs) if that math was really bad you're welcome to laugh (laughs) no i have no idea i'm i like i'm not even don't even have the energy to think about that right now but um one thing i do remember in the documentary um down to earth that we were talking about with Zac Efron, they mentioned like a hundred and twenty pound woman eating fifty grams of protein a day, and that is point nine grams per kilogram. Oh, so that's around. Yeah. yeah, I think that. So that's tracks that would be within. Said, yeah. yeah, so that would be within the recommended um, intake of protein for a day. So point eight to um, really anywhere point eight to one point two, I would say, is like normal protein intake. So that's how much you really need. And I know a lot of... I mean, if you're getting more than that, you're likely just... Yeah, and it really does depend on your activity level, like your exercise and like workout regimen. It depends on, um, again, your weight, clearly. Like if it's grams per kilogram, it depends on your body weight. It depends on a lot of different things. So... It, it varies per person, but that's just kind of the general. And it will vary day to day as well. Um, so, but yeah, I would say usually the general recommendation is kind of aiming for around 20 grams per meal. Like if you're kind of, I, I wouldn't necessarily say you have to like count, oh, like calculate it out and then count. Um, but if you're roughly getting that much per meal, anyway, 10 to 20 you're probably okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in snacks, good. making sure you're getting some a little bit as well. Um, okay, this one says, hmm, how to know if a food is truly bad for your health and not just because it causes weight gain? So this is a bit of an interesting question. Hmm. <laughs> um, I honestly don't... Maybe this is just my opinion, but I don't necessarily feel like any food is truly bad for your health like sure there are foods that are more nutrient dense and offer more like nutrition wise than others do but I think they're saying and I also don't think that any food necessarily causes weight gain I was that was what I was going to talk about yeah yeah so I mean yeah, I, I that's how I'm going to answer this question. There really I don't think there's a you know any one food that's necessarily bad for your health. Again, everyone is different. We all have different needs. There are specific, 
you know, medical conditions that people can have that might make a specific food bad for them. Like say you have kidney disease, there are certain things you have to limit that if you eat, you know, too much of can cause, um, you know, could be like quote unquote bad for your health. Or if you have celiac disease, eating gluten is bad for your health. Um, but if you're just like a, if you don't have any underlying health conditions or allergies, um, there's, I mean, yes, of course, focus on, you know, eating a diverse diet full of fruits and vegetables and various grains and, and protein sources. But I don't think that, I think they're looking for someone to say like, Cheetos are bad for your health. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, that, but that's like, I, Hannah already said, like, the most important part is is basically, and this applies to everybody, even if you don't have an underlying health condition, I think, is overconsumption of anything is likely not the best uh, exactly. way to go about consuming a food. So if you're finding Cheetos to be the main component of every meal that you eat, you, you might want to reevaluate how to diversify right. your diet a bit more. Exactly. But enjoying them doesn't necessarily mean you're going to develop atherosclerosis or something. Right. Exactly. It's, I, I think it's about what you do most often versus um what you do like here and there so yeah that, that's an interesting yeah i mean question. we're never gonna say to like consume high sugar high processed foods as the main component of yeah every meal that's just i mean we know that like we've talked about why those foods can result in negative health outcomes in excess and when they're a main part of your diet um yeah but that doesn't mean that those foods should be vilified and that we should never consume them at all yeah I agree. Yeah, and again, just to reiterate, there's no one food that causes weight gain. Weight gain, again, is something that's quite, just like weight loss, it's very complex and, like, you know, nuanced, like nutrition is, and there's not, you can't, you know, there's not one food that's going to cause you to gain weight. I hate the term, right. like, fattening foods, because it's like... Oh, that's terrible. No. I've never heard that. Yeah. What? Yeah. You've never heard someone say, I like, stay out oh, of all that Instagram that. drama. Stop it. No, but, like, you've never heard, like, like that's something, like, you know, a extended family member would say or something like that. Like, oh, oh sure, that, sure, sure. That yeah, yeah. pie crust is fattening or, like, something yeah, you're like right. that. Like, totally. So, and, you're again, right. like, yeah. it doesn't work like that. That's, yeah. Anyways, next question. Yeah, okay. Uh, do I need to count my main nutrients, fiber, protein, etc.? So do I need to count my macronutrients, I think, is what they're kind of getting at. And how do I do it conveniently? Oh, that's mm. an interesting question. Do I need to count them? I mean, I'm not the RD here, but I would say, like, you don't need to count anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What, what If someone came to you that way with a question like that, what would you say? Like, if a client so or if a, a patient... Client, if a client came to me and said do i need to count my main nutrients i would say no i would say if you're putting in an effort you know at your meal like for the most part and generally like most often doesn't have to be strict or like this every single meal all the time but if like more often than not you are creating and and consuming balanced meals um and and practicing gentle nutrition so you know considering including um sources of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and and quality protein sources at your most of your meals like if if that's kind of in the forefront of your mind 
then no, I don't think you need to count your main nutrients. Um, I think it's okay to, I would say this to a client, to have a good general idea of your needs. So um, say you need um, 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day. Um, You can be aware of that and like, you know, you can read nutrition labels and, you know, look at a serving of this has five grams of fiber or this bread one slice of this bread has three grams of fiber and be generally aware like of your meals and and the breakdown but i don't think you need to count it Um, i kind of want to tell this person like if you have this question maybe if you can if if you can find a way to do this like through your healthcare plan talk to an rd and maybe this is an opportunity for you to kind of learn more about what you need like nutritionally and yeah learn more about like basic like food needs yeah yeah exactly i i don't think that counting is necessarily yeah it's just to me it's not something that you want to do for your whole life it's not something that's sustainable having to like look down at an app on your phone after every meal and count everything that's not necessary for good health um so i would say to do it conveniently yes um reach out to i mean i am a dietitian but i don't know you and your specific needs this person that asked the question so um yeah reach out see yeah like you said try to see if you can um, talk to a dietitian and go over your specific needs um and some ways that you could do it conveniently so maybe you can kind of break down how many grams of protein you need a day or how many grams of fiber you need based on your activity levels and your um your weight and things like that and then um and your age and break down like generally at each meal i need this much fiber so and then you can learn about what foods are high in fiber and um and include those at your meals i think that's the most convenient way to do it is just to learn do a little bit of learning and i guess so yeah yeah totally okay go ahead so this question (laughs) (laughs) this question so i don't know if you if anyone's familiar with this but i've experienced this quite a bit on instagram when you use the question sticker sometimes you get like spam questions from like bot accounts and i think that's what this was but it was kind of funny because it is like food related related. (laughs) yeah so it's it was in italian and it came from like this random italian account that was like food underscore italia like something like that that. (laughs) and so the question i i used google translate and i translated it to english oh uh, you want me to read it in italian I don't yeah, have yeah, go for it. I don't even know how to do like an Italian accent, but I think we have some Italian listeners. I'm sure they would love this. <laughs> oh jeez. It says ti capita my di fair foto ai piatti food. It's food. Prima di mangiare. So it says Oh my god. I ever... feel like I'm in Firenze right now. I'm in <laughs> Stop it. I'm in Milano listening to your um, voice. Do you ever take pictures of food dishes before eating? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Hannah does it yeah. a lot, obviously. She's very public yeah. about it. Uh, yeah. I used to do it a lot. I haven't you been feeling too. very creatively inspired lately. But I, you know what? Yeah. I will say when I do it, it's because I really enjoyed creating something. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like want to remember it. Um, 
Oh, that's a great question. Elementary teacher here. What's the best way to teach nutrition to our students? I will say as a little plug for us, please contact us on Twitter or Instagram if you are uh, a school educator and you have some nutrition curriculum that you'd be happy to share because I'm trying to start compiling a bunch of resources for school-aged children about nutrition in order to then be able to share those with our listeners. I think we have like a, I know at least one really good family member of Thomas's and now mine, of course, who um, who is an elementary school teacher who is looking for some good resources. And I think there's more teachers out there who listen to our podcast. Oh, yeah, my friend Courtney so. as well. Um, so, yes, please reach out to us if you have those resources. I'm trying to trying to get like a good set of resources with like especially cultural competency Mm. um especially taking into consideration things like fat phobia and you know hopefully even the new obesity guidelines but cater towards school-aged children i think that's really important how best to do it i don't know there's so many different ways i mean one thing you could do is like you could see if you could hire an rd to come into the school Uh for example so that's what i was gonna say unfortunately the challenge with that is I've been I've actually been reached out to by a handful of lovely teachers that I like have connections with and asking me to come in and talk to their classes about just general nutrition or healthy eating. I'm guessing it was pro bono. Right. So yeah. while I would love to do that, like a lot of times it's just like difficult to fit it into the schedule Um, and it's challenging to take the time out to prepare for something like that and do something like that, um, when it is pro bono. So, I mean, a lot of dietitians, and this is what I do, I kind of each year set aside a certain amount of like free or pro bono work that I can or am willing to do. And then once that's kind of filled up, I don't do any more. So cool. If I've already taken so much on, then I, you know, I can't just for the sake of like my business and um, my sanity. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I think people, I mean, I know it's hard. People already have so much on their plates, but maybe try not to make it a classroom thing. See if like the school principal will be able to set aside a budget in order to hire somebody for a school assembly or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I think that would be a lot better. And one thing I did want to say, so I'm not... um, like a pediatric trained dietitian. I'm not a public health dietitian. So, um, you know, those RDs would know the best way to teach nutrition to, you know, school age students. Mm. That being said, I will say the best way not to teach nutrition to students, like you already said, Tarek, is with like um, stigmatizing or negative language around food um, associating food with weight gain or weight loss. Um, and I, I don't think those things are should be included in, you know, teaching nutrition to elementary school students. I think you can definitely talk about healthy foods and, and encourage intake of healthy foods and, and trying new foods and um, having fun with food. But I, I've heard horror stories of um, teachers having told students like you shouldn't eat this it's fattening or like you should you know you shouldn't eat this because it has all of these ingredients in it or things like that and um that can be harmful to very um young 
Um, impressionable kids. Impressionable. Well, yeah. That was the word I was looking for. Impressionable students. Yeah. The other thing is um, the, the Canada's Food Guide does actually make uh, uh, content that's directly targeted to school-age children. Uh, and some of that content also uh, focuses on, for example, different groups of children, different groups of people, like, for example, people who are in, children who are Indigenous. Um, and that's freely available online. And I will include that link as part of yeah. our show notes too. So, Great. you know, these are, this is content that's like made by people who make the food guide. So, and it's made specifically for kids. So why not take advantage of that? Like the curriculum's kind of already there and you can use that in a classroom setting. Mm-hmm. I don't see why that would be a problem. Yeah. All right. Also the well, new food guide is written in really plain language. I think like, I think anybody could like even school age children would be able to benefit from going through yeah. the food guide with their teacher yeah. in a in a classroom setting, don't you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, I did that in school. Um, but the new food guide's remember? even, like, way better than no, our no, food, yeah, the, the old food guide yes. that we used to. Yes. It's not that rainbow I, anymore, folks, yeah. No. Yeah, we have an episode about that in yeah. season one. All right, so, I mean, that kind of wraps up all the questions that we had. Um, any other questions you wanted to to address or like bring up while we're here Mm. i don't think so um no i think that's okay i think we should get to our tasties because i have a delectable one all right why don't you tell me what your what's been tasty for you this week okay so my tasty is actually gonna be like a mini bs of the week because it's so bad it's good you know what i mean it's so terrible i can't believe it do a bs of the week so yeah Um, so Dr. Joel, friend of the pod, uh, sent me this amazing study, this link to this amazing study called patterns of regional cerebral blood flow as a function of obesity in adults. Um, and this was published in a journal called journal of Alzheimer's disease. And basically they were trying to get across that people, who are living with obesity are more predisposed to Alzheimer's because somehow there's less blood flow to the brain and that leads to um, cognitive dysfunction. So uh, whether or not that... So that's like anyone can make a hypothesis, whatever. That's a hypothesis, um, you know, maybe at a population level the obesity is related to like developing cardiovascular issues, maybe like, you know, for example, atherosclerosis and blood flow can be limited or something like I can kind of see where like someone might develop a hypothesis like this, but the reason that I don't care for this paper at all or find no um, merit to anything that it says is because it's a pile of crap. The whole thing's absolutely a pile of crap. So um, not only is there a terrible um, conflict of interest, one of the authors works for something called Amen Clinics Incorporated, which is in California, the home of fat phobia, um, as we've talked about (laughs) many times, because there's so many clinics in California that are so fat phobic that are trying to peddle garbage to people. This person also has been selling really expensive uh, brain imaging scans to evaluate psychiatric illnesses with absolutely no evidence for this at all. Like this is somebody who's been, um, you know, 
caught before for basically peddling shit science and right. making money off people, like profiting off these people. Um, so already there's, you know, there's a huge red flag about this person, right? So the huge red flag about this uh, being a terrible study. So if, even though I hate when this happens, something gets published and it's like, oh, here's scientific evidence. And the bad thing about this is that this person is very likely going to use the fact that this paper got published by a shitty journal that's just trying to make money um, to back up whatever claims that they have in their clinic. Right. And, uh, and they'll say, this has actually been published uh, before. You know what yeah. I mean? That, I mean, that's basically what they do, right? It's like, we've talked about this before with Satyriel, with the, um, oh yeah, what's it called? The Kim Kardashian lollipops and so on. We've yeah. talked about it with so many other things. Okay, so... This paper sucks because they're the, by the way, sucks for so many reasons. Statist, I'm not a statistician. I wish I was. I, I definitely want to increase my skills in that regard. But so, for example, here's, a, here's one reason why this paper sucks. Statistically, there is a large cohort, cohort of people scans that they use, like 17,000 scans. That's a lot of people. Or sorry, 35,000 scans, actually. Um, that's a lot of scans, a lot of data, right? Um, and But the problem is all these people have absolutely very diverse backgrounds. Like 51% of the population of those people had ADHD. Uh, 43% of them had suffered a traumatic brain injury. And none of these things were controlled for uh, within the uh, study. So like right. there was no control for the fact that like maybe there was less blood flow to the brain because 43.5% of those people had a traumatic brain injury. You know what I mean? They didn't take that into consideration yeah, when doing yeah. the statistics. Okay, and then everybody remembers, for even for as far back as grade 9, when, maybe even earlier, when we were drawing graphs, you know, there's a y-axis and there's an x-axis. Everybody remembers that, right? Okay, so on the x-axis, is if people forget is a horizontal one that's what we call our independent variable so for and the y-axis is the up and down one that's our dependent variable so for example if we were to say tall people or people who are taller make more money then height would be our uh, independent variable so people could be short average or tall that's the one that we can manipulate and then the y-axis would be our dependent variable, which is how much money they make. And that's the one that we right. count. And we obviously have to put in our units for those things. So we would say their height would be in meters, for example. And we would say the money, for example, would be in Canadian dollars. There's no units anywhere on any of this stuff. These graphs are so terrible. They don't have any error bars. So that's if you don't know anything about statistics or you're not interested in statistics, that's takes into error bars take into consideration how much that point that data point actually might um might vary because of you know error in the way that it was error in the way that the data was collected compared to the population it's terrible that the actual graphic that they use which i'm going to text you right now because it's so laughable of the uh cerebral blood flow um, is so like it looks like it's from like Microsoft ninety eight like it was made on Microsoft Word. It's just a really shitty study, terrible science, huge conflict of interest. Oh God, Don't sue me because yeah. this is all my opinion. Um, the statistics <laughs> were terrible, uh, and they did a really bad job. And I hate it because I, I am really curious about whether or not this is going to gain traction in the press. This paper was right. just released, so thank you, Joel, for sending it. Um, 
So I'm really curious. So if you see any headlines soon about cerebral blood flow being impaired in people with obesity and that, you know, making them predisposed to Alzheimer's, know that, check to see if it was published by Daniel Amen and his cronies, uh, because it might have been. And it's junk. So that's my tasty and... That's your not so tasty of the Not so tasty. Yeah. Yeah. So bad it's good. Well, my tasty is actually tasty and it sounds it's pretty lame because yours was so cool um we we i don't know if you actually had any but we were together on mon sunday sunday and last sunday and we had some ice cream cake oh yeah i had i loved it specifically dairy queen ice cream cake and i would love a sponsorship uh because I was trying to think of, like, something that's been tasty and, like, something good that I've eaten. And, like, I kind of like you said, I have just not been feeling it, like, Me neither. Yeah. in the kitchen lately. But one thing this last week that was really tasty was that Dairy Queen DQ ice cream cake. And oh. I want to know, how do you eat your ice cream cake? Frozen. Yeah, but, like, I always eat the mean? white I always eat the white oh. ice cream first, and then I eat the chocolate, and I leave the little fudgy middle. Do you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me but of Kourtney Kardashian eating the Kit Kat. Her Kit Kat bar. Yeah. That was iconic nutrition like history. No, I like having all the pieces at once. I like the texture differences. Uh-uh. No, I like to just do the... The, um, I think the crunchy part in the, the middle is so good because so good. of the contrast with the creamy ice cream. Oh, no. I like to just eat it all by itself. Thomas would it's love so a tub good. of just the crunchy part. Me too. That's I don't know the if they part. make that. Yeah. They definitely don't. All right. So that's my tasty. Um, I dream about Dairy Queen ice cream cake at night. Me too. And yeah. All right. I don't like their burgers, but I will support everything else that they sell if they want to sponsor oh, us. Oh, yeah. I like their burgers. Their burgers are terrible. <laughs> I will say I like their burgers if they'll sponsor us. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I won't, no, I won't lie joking. to make money. I won't lie. <laughs> That's a joke. Okay. Um, well, that is the end of our second end season. End of an era. This episode was a bit of a shit show. End um, of an era. <laughs> end of an era. <laughs> but we went out with a bang. Uh, yeah, we will be back. In hopefully, a some. While with hopefully, the we'll third be back season. in a in a fun way. Yeah, hopefully, we'll. Yeah, I think we want to do some needs... change ups and stuff, and come back fresh and. Yeah, yeah I think everyone needs a little bit of a break sometimes, and we like to every. I guess it's kind of like every six months we take a little, um, break. We do, you know, maybe a month or so. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. And then we'll be back with the third season, and it's going to be amazing. In the meantime, please tell your family and friends about our podcast. Get them and to listen rate and from, review. And rate and review. Get them to listen from season one. There's a whole whack of stuff in there. Uh, if you have somebody in your life that you think would benefit from some gentle nutrition, send them towards us. I was going to say, yeah, if you guys kind of found us you know, mid season two, or, you know, you haven't listened all the way through. It's a great opportunity while we're on a little break and prepping and planning for season three to go back and and listen to the episodes that you haven't already and just get yourself caught up and leave us a five-star rating and review. Make sure you are following us on our social media. We will put the links in the description and 
that's about it. We miss you already. Feel free to send in recommendations <laughs> as well. Um, totally. I don't want to. I'm like, I don't want to end the episode. I just want to keep talking. Um, I feel know, free to send. How's feel everyone free doing? To send your <laughs> recommendations for topics. We're happy to um, talk about things that you want to hear about. You know, that's kind of the goal. So. Oh, um, also, yeah. I want to say I'm really obsessed oh, with. Um, yeah. One more thing. Oh, that's the new name of our podcast. One more thing. <laughs> that's really good. Trademark. Um <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, okay. You know those uh, cut videos, truth or drink, or fear pong? Yes, yeah. I am obsessed with those. I love those. So if people don't know what we're talking about, there is a YouTube channel called I think it's called The Cut or Cut. Yeah. And they make, I guess, like they try to like make viral content. I'm pretty sure that's what they're after, right? They're trying to make viral okay. content, and they do lots of. Uh, I don't know whether it's like interviews or like games with people, different people. They um, do a lot of ones too. That's like guess who's like yeah, like guess, guess who's gay or something. In the or guess who's the gay? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, or it's called lineup, and they like you have to yeah, like, yeah, and um, guess who makes the most money or guess who yeah things like that. They make two drinking games. One of them is called Truth or Drink. So it's basically yeah. you there you get a card. Yeah. You either answer truthfully or you take a drink. And they have yeah. another game called Fear Pong, where if you get if you sink the ball in a cup, you have to either drink or you have to do the dare. So the right. cool thing about it is that they've done the especially the truth or drink ones between like um like a mom and the boyfriend of her daughter and they've met yeah. for the first time. And they're yeah. the first time they meet, they're playing truth or drink and they have to talk about like what's your favorite sexual position and like how much money do you make? Or like they do it with like yeah. a person and their boss or they do it with like yeah. between two exes and or they do like it as if it's like a blind awkward. date. Some of them are like <sighs> awkward questions or really like out there questions. Yeah. And it's like, it's so amazing. Too. Like, because sometimes you actually get to see like a really cool intimate connection with people being yeah. formed. Yeah. Sometimes it can be like they're really nostalgic and they're looking back on their lives together. Or sometimes, or sometimes it's, like, it's like a blind date. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it can be really romantic. Meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I really love those videos. They're really fun. I want Cut to sponsor us, and I want them to send us a, a fear pung and a truth or drink, and Hannah and I can play for an episode. Oh my I, God. I might drink in order for us to play. <laughs> I'm ordering it. I don't care if they sponsor us. That would be so fun. Okay, let us know if you guys want to see that, because I think that would be hilarious. Yes. All right. Um, we should probably end this now. So no. thank you guys so much. We <laughs> love you, all of our friends of the pod. And we will see you in season three. Yes, thank you for making it a great season two. We love you. Bye. We love you. Bye. Bye.